Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And welcome to Happy Mum, Happy Baby, Parenting SOS. In this week's episode, we are talking about navigating baby loss, miscarriage and grief. Our expert this week is the inspirational Zoe Clark-Coates, MBE, BCAH, CEO and author. Zoe has personally faced the loss of five babies and out of her and her husband Andy's experiences came the charity, the Mariposa Trust, often known as Saying Goodbye, offering support to thousands of grieving parents and relatives around the world each week. Zoe, when I say thousands, you actually reach 50,000 people a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a lot of hurting people. You know, when we launched the work that we do, we had no idea there was that many people who were suffering and needed support. So it's been eye-opening to us, for sure. As much as we talk about baby loss and miscarriage, it's still that thing that people just don't want to to have as a conversation because it's almost like we're tempting fate if we talk about it. We know that it affects one in four pregnancies, but not talking about it doesn't actually mean that it stops it from happening. That's so true. And I think we're just really bad at talking about death 
and loss in general. I think there's a whole taboo there of this is a dark subject, we don't want to go there. And like you said, almost you're tempting fate if you do open up that door of conversation. But actually, that's not true. And I wonder how much of these beliefs start from childhood because we're excluded from discussions around death and loss. We're told when we're young, we're too young to attend funerals. We shouldn't visit people who have passed away, even if other members of the family do. We kind of exclude children from these conversations. Mm. So when we get to adulthood, we've not been trained in conversation around it. We're not comfortable around the subject. And so this cycle of discomfort around the whole subject continues. And was it obviously your experiences, but maybe the lack of support that you saw in that space that led you to start your own work? Well, actually, no. So going back many years, I trained as a counsellor. So I was already a grief specialist before ever going through loss. And I thought I understood loss. I'd been trained in the subject. My mum's a therapist. I'd been around the whole conversations around loss, my whole childhood youth. And so I felt kind of comfortable talking about it. And with all my training, I really thought I understood the ins and outs of grief. I'd even walked alongside one of my best friends who had had two stillbirths and a miscarriage and I'd been kind of one of the only people that had been around them during that time so I'd even had that really intimate knowledge of loss baby loss up close and personal and I did think I understood the subject and then we decided to have children and then we became victims to the exact subject I had trained in And it was at that point I realised all the training in the world doesn't equip you for experiencing it. And all my beliefs around loss, some of them were true and accurate, but a lot of them were actually not true. Nothing can show you that your world really does shatter. And for a good while there, it felt really devoid of all hope and joy. Something I've realised recently, actually, is you can be an academic in psychology Mm -hmm. and understand people on an academic level but actually it's very different to have that experience and to feel it in that way is very different so different i was sitting with a psychiatrist the other day a man who had just been told that his baby had died and he was just weeping into his hands and He was saying, all my training as a psychiatrist, walking with people through all of these subjects, nothing's equipped me for this moment I'm sitting in right now. I had no idea the pain could feel like this. And I think it is one of those things you've just got to experience to understand how Mm. bad it is, how dark it is. And it's only through walking through it that I think you're really best placed to help others going through it. Yeah, because you can have all the tools and you can Mm -hmm. obviously help other people to use those tools to help Mm -hmm. them through that time. But ultimately, if you also have that empathy and those experiences, it's just a different level. It's so different. And I think what stops a lot of people explaining and talking about their own personal loss is because they don't have the language to describe it. All the words feel like they minimise your experience. And so because of that, you end up not talking and not sharing. And that's when it is really helpful to be able to sit with somebody who's gone through it, because you can always just sit in silence and think, okay, they get it, they know it because they've walked it. And that's really empowering when you are the person trying to talk about your experience to just know there's that level of empathy and understanding from the other side. Absolutely. On Parenting SOS, I ask you the three questions that you are most asked. Now, you've sent these in, so I'm Mm -hmm. going to ask you them. Yeah. 
Right, number one, is it possible to re-find hope after loss? Yeah, and this is something that I'm asked countless times every day. And it's the big question I actually had when I was going through loss as well. My world felt so devoid of all hope, all happiness and joy. And I really thought I was going to live the whole of my life without it. And that was one of my darkest periods of time. I call them valley moments where everything is removed and you feel like you're crawling on your knees and you just have no idea if you're ever going to get back up off the bathroom floor because you're sobbing so much. And that's now asked me all of the time. And one of the quotes that resonates a lot with people that I share that I wrote is about grief and loss being devoid of all hope. But actually, hope has this massive power too, and it's always hidden in a back room. It just doesn't come out in those dark moments because what grief needs is time and space to actually be processed. And what it doesn't need is hope, being a cheerleader in the corner going, it's all fine, it's all going to be great, you're just going to get over it. All of these things, we don't need to hear because some of those aren't true because we never get over it. We just develop grief muscles and become better at carrying it. It doesn't get less. We just get so much better equipped at journeying with that grief on our back. The fact that it stops holding us down, we're able to move forward carrying it. And so hope does stay quiet for a good period of time and joy does stay removed for a good period of time. But it does return if we give people the space to process their pain, the ability and space to talk about their story, which is what our brains need to do when it's been traumatised by loss and grief. We need to tell our story over and over and over again before our brains can accept this is part of our story and part Mm. of our truth. And by giving people that space, by giving people that time to journey through their suffering, we do allow hope to reappear and joy to come back. But the secret is talking about it, not running from pain, not running in the opposite direction, saying, I can't stand this, I'm just gonna keep distracting myself and not allowing my time space to sit with it. But yeah, so joy will come back if we allow pain to sit with us and not run in the opposite direction from it. I feel like when I went through my miscarriage, it's almost hope was mocking me, weirdly. Mm -hmm. I remember being in the car on the way to be scanned and I knew that I was bleeding and Bob Marley's Every Little Thing Will Be Alright started playing on the radio. I've only just, 10 years on, been able to listen to that song. And I remember listening to Bob Marley and kind of going, this is the hope, this is... This song is meant to be playing because I know this is all going to be fine. And in the grander picture, everything is fine. You know, in that moment, it felt like hope was mocking me. But it's really interesting to know that you've almost got to sit with that grief and Mm -hmm. that pain. And you can't plonk hope in the room and expect it to be all singing or dancing. Actually, it's going to really great if that hope's in the room, which we all know people say inappropriate things to try and Mm -hmm. plonk hope in that room. Yeah. But it's not necessarily helpful 
No, I totally understand that people want to do it. And I think anybody who's not trained as well to mm -hmm. be taught to just stay silent and say nothing rather than trying to find a silver lining into something, yeah. which, again, is a very British thing. We try and find the silver linings in things and we think that will make it better. If somebody's just passed away, we say at least they're not suffering anymore. If they die at an older age, or at least they had a good life. There's a lot of statements that start with at least and at least yeah. always minimises someone's experience. So we need to delete the at least. But also we need to be willing to say we can't fix this. We're not going to be able to make it better for them. And that's difficult because we're a population who love to fix things, you know, and, yeah. and you can't, you've just got to sometimes be able to go, this is rubbish. You know? Yeah, for sure. There's no way of fixing no, and that's so difficult. And yeah. it's painful for the person who's offering the support and painful for the person who's going through the loss because they want to be fixed. Yeah. They want it all to be fixed. They want their baby to be brought back or the person they love and adore to be brought back. And the person who is holding their hand desperately wants to rescue them because it is almost like watching somebody drowning in front of your eyes and there's no way of putting in a life ring to pull mm -hmm. them out. And so that's why we need to be really open about this conversation and saying it's not easy to be the supporter. And I'm a big advocate of talking about that side of things as well, because often when you're going through loss and you're hearing lots of really insensitive remarks and it's really easy to get into a critical mindset of, well, they have no clue, do they? And, mm. and I totally understand that because when you're hurting and then somebody almost comes in and pokes that wound, it's really hard and it really is grating and challenging to be around people like that. But I think if we can really open up the conversation about how challenging and hard it is also for the supporter, I think that means that we offer the people who are trying to hold our hands a little grace and saying, it's okay for you to get it wrong. Because I know for me, the people that backed away because they didn't want to say the wrong thing, that hurt way more than them yeah. sitting in there and actually saying something really bad. And so I think we need to be really clear about that, that even if you're totally unconfident about what you're going to say and saying something that may cause more tears to come forward, actually it's still better you being in that room yeah. because they need your presence. They need those they love to be surrounding them. And we need to be saying it's okay to mess up and say the wrong thing. I am a trained grief specialist and I still say the wrong things because really? I'm human, yeah. absolutely. It's so hard to sit in that pain, sit with them and always say the right things because a person's journey is also going to play a part in their story so even if you can totally comprehend what they've gone through their life story is still going to be completely different to my life story and to the mm. next person's life story and all of those things that have happened in their lives are all going to be a play a part in their grief story too so if they've not had a secure family background if they've not got a spouse a partner who completely gets it and completely understands it all of these things will change someone's experience of loss and so everybody's going to say the wrong thing at some point. Mm. And to even try to make out there is a perfect script for this is wrong. And it's knowing the fact that even grief specialists, anybody 
will make mistakes when they're supporting people. But that's okay. You've just got to be willing to say, I really wish I hadn't said that. I, you know, if I could rewind time five minutes, I wouldn't just say what I've just said to you. But I'm still learning too. We're all human. We're all going to make mistakes. And all we need to do is be strong enough to admit it. Absolutely. Your next most asked question is, why don't people understand my grief? And I think that really is kind of what we've already been talking about, Mm. the fact of this misunderstanding around grief and loss. And unless you've experienced it, it's pretty hard to grasp. So I think when most people ask me that question, it's because those around them haven't ever lost somebody really close to them. And they're in this really privileged position of having an innocence that those who have lost people they love don't have anymore. Mm. It's like if you have a baby before ever encountering baby loss, you'll know the fact that you've journeyed through pregnancy really innocently, where you just presume on every scan it's going to be joyful. You start buying baby clothes and equipment because you just believe you're going to bring your baby home from the hospital. There's this innocence that you have when you haven't experienced something. And actually... I'm not mad about that. I think that's kind of a beautiful thing and I really wish I'd had that innocence around it because we lost three babies before getting to bring a baby home from the hospital. I never had the beauty of that. My innocence had been taken. Mm -hmm. So I think how I look at it with people when they don't understand it, I kind of look at them thinking that's really naive but really beautiful that you have that innocence still and that you don't know it. So instead of getting angry about it, why don't you understand? Why don't you get it? I just kind of look at them and think, how blessed are you to not know what I know because you haven't walked it? I think that makes me look at things instead of angrily and bitterly that I kind of flip it on its head and just try to appreciate that they are blessed not to know it and then see it as an opportunity to kindly educate them on it by modelling what loss looks like and grief looks like. So they might not ever truly grasp it, but if I really kindly and patiently use this opportunity to explain loss and to walk the story, not hide away from it, to bravely say, you don't get it, but I'm still going to share it with you, And that takes real vulnerability because when we do that, we are opening ourselves up to more hurt because we're opening ourselves up to potentially having something really insensitive shared with us Mm. or some harsh words said to us when they don't understand loss. And so it does take vulnerability to share with people who don't get it. But it's by doing that we are educating them on loss and by sharing quotes and poems and stories and and things like that. Even on social media, we're kind of educating those who follow us and are friends with us on loss without shoving it down their throats. We're just saying, this is my world and I'm going to share it. Mm. And I think the more that we do that, the more people get insight into it. But As I said before, I was trained in the subject of grief and loss and thought I got it. And on the other side of loss, I realised I didn't. And so because of that, I now will never try to say that people who haven't gone through it themselves will truly get it. However, 
people can be truly empathetic yeah. about it and can really grasp to the most understanding possible it without experiencing it. And if you've got a family member who has witnessed it, they can have true empathy and understanding because they might not be the person who's gone through the loss. But I know my parents grieve like we grieved when we yeah. lost our babies because they were losing their grandbabies. And they were also grieving the fact that their baby, me, was grieving. Yeah. And so even if they hadn't encountered loss, which they had, they still really understood it because of journeying it. So it might not have been a loss happening in their body, but it was a loss happening in their family. And so we can certainly gain real empathy and understanding from other people's loss and be trained in supporting people by being acutely aware of the different things people are walking through. Do you think it's also important to think about how we receive words, what words we allow ourselves to receive, the opinions that we allow to have of others that we allow to put on us. You know, is there something that we should be aware of what we're letting in and almost allow ourselves to feel how we feel, to grieve how mm. we feel is right for us? I guess it's that area of judgment. Judgment is everywhere. And it's it about is. putting that aside from other people's perspectives and actually thinking about what you want and need. Yeah, that's such a good question. And I think that is a big question for even outside of grief and loss, isn't it? Mm. Because we are kind of created as humans to appreciate or to listen to the words around us. Yeah. And that starts from childhood where we are listening to what our friends think and peer pressure and being pulled into liking something just because our group of friends like it. And so we're kind of trained to conform from childhood. And we are, even as children with our parents, you know, you're told when you go out, you behave in a certain way or we'll be judged that we're not great mm -hmm. parents. And so you're told, <laughs> you know, when we go out, you better behave, you better listen. And all of this is teaching us that we have to respond and behave in a certain way in society. And I think it starts from such a young age, this being ingrained that we have to act like those around us or how society tells us we should behave and respond, that, of course, that then filters into other life circumstance, including grief and loss. Mm. And as a society, we are really bad at allowing people time and space. So in general, I would say people will give a general three months time for people to grieve. We expect people to be in the darkest part of grief for that amount of time, potentially up to six months. And if we have really gracious people around us, maybe they allow us up to a year maximum. After that period of time, we're very much told, aren't you over it yet? Mm. Aren't you getting back to normal yet? Why are you still not doing this? I thought you'd be returning to society as you once did. And so there's this whole pressure around us all the time that we have to be like other people are telling us we need to be, do it within the time zone that we are awarded. And after that, if we aren't through it, we better fake it. 
And that's where we are taught, fake it until you make it. Just put a smile on your face. And we actually then start congratulating people on, wow, you're doing so well. You were so strong today. You didn't even cry. Well done. And it's all of this language that just conforms that we are praised if we keep it together. We are given a pat on the back if we are strong enough not to shed a tear. And all of those things show us the fact that strength is in hiding our suffering and pretending to be fine. And actually, the opposite is true. It takes real courage to cry in public and to cry with people and to show our pain and suffering. And so it is incredibly difficult when we are taught to conform and when we are praised for doing something that will even potentially harm us. And that's what it does when we keep our pain and suffering internally. It has a knock-on effect on our health. Well, and this also leads into your third question, I think, which is, am I going crazy? People worry that they're grieving abnormally. And again, that's because we don't talk about grief and loss as society, so we're unaware of it. There's also been lots of misconceptions surrounding grief and where psychologists in the past and psychiatrists have really done a lot of work on the stepping stones of grief. And some of that has very much been overturned over the years, but actually it's still ingrained. And, Mm. And some of those things are that there's a fixed stepping stone of grief that we go through, anger, denial, all of these set stages. That's kind of the basic training the general member of the public would have. And so if we then see somebody who is grieving, not journeying through those set steps, and that's all we're aware of, that there's a stepping stone process, we suddenly start thinking, hang on, maybe they're not processing this, maybe they're grieving wrong. They start saying that to the people around them. Well, do you think it's time to get help? I really think, you know, my friend over the road, she also lost a baby and she is back to normal now. And Mm. so maybe you ought to be doing whatever she was doing. And so we start speaking this out. So not only have we got those around us speaking this into our lives often, we start speaking it to ourselves. Well, I'm clearly not normal. Look at what they're doing now. And they lost their baby, especially people in the public eye, actually. The fact that when people have been brave enough to share their story, often they share their story, which is amazing. But then that becomes part of what they shared a year ago. And now they've moved completely on. And now they're sharing all the happy moments and back to social media. Mm. And so it's really easy for people to go, Okay, they were really broken when they shared that post, but look at every post ever since. They look absolutely fine. Well, it's really interesting. So we spoke to someone actually in series two, Amanda Holden, who shared about Theo, her son that was stillborn. She said when she was sharing that, that whenever she talks about it, she gets comments of, aren't you over this yet? And she's still obviously talking about Theo now. She's still raising awareness. I imagine that takes a lot from her to Mm. share that. Anyone who's sharing that... But people that aren't sharing about their losses, it doesn't mean that it doesn't affect them every single day. It's like you say, we're just very good at masking it. So good at it. And conforming to society and the fact that we don't want to be judged. Mm. And for somebody like Amanda, that will be so painful to hear because she then doesn't also know what to do. She doesn't want to have those comments and have to address it because it's like being hit when you're already hurting. But also, she does want to talk about it because she wants to not only talk about it for her own benefit, because 
he's still her son and will always be her son. But also she wants to help other people who are going through it too. And so you're always in this world where you can't do anything right. Something's always going to be criticised. And so because of that, people often will share at key moments and then not share the rest of the time. And that's totally up to them. But because of that, those who are also going through it will think, as we all do, we judge what we see, they are okay. So Mm. why am I not okay? And that's when I start then getting a lot of questions from people, literally daily, am I going crazy? Am Mm. I going mad? Because they appear to be all right now and I'm absolutely not all right. And that's where I spend a lot of my time reassuring people that grief, one, is unique. It's as unique as your fingerprints. You'll never grieve exactly the same way as somebody else. But also the fact that grief is often a hidden thing. Mm. And because of those around us telling us the fact that we are strong if we don't cry, people will often do a lot of their mourning and grieving in private. They'll do it in the bathroom. They'll be crying in the shower. They'll be crying into their pillow at night. But then when they get up in the morning, they bravely get up, go to work and do all their thing. And then we'll come home and that process will start again. And so they're not crazy. It is part of grief and it is all consuming and it does impact every single part of our life. It's not something isolated. And often grief is the first domino, the loss happens and grief is the first domino that falls and it will have an impact on many other things. For instance, on relationships, there's a stat that around 70% of relationships break down after losing a baby, which means it's one of the number one reasons for relationship breakdown. And that's one of those of the dominoes Mm. that can go over. So it's not necessarily because of the loss itself that causes it, but it may be because they're grieving differently and resentment then gets brought in and communication gets broken down. And there's so many impacts that happen after going through a baby loss and that can all be stopped by communication, by getting the support and by realising grief is a natural process that we are created to do. And when we stop ourselves doing that, that's when it can become one overwhelming and all consuming, but also make us feel like we just don't know how we're going to continue on. Mm. So grief tears are actually made of a different substance than tears of joy or other tears, which is amazing. I had no idea. Yeah, so they contain hormones and chemicals. And if we don't allow them to be shared, that's why it has an impact on our body. There's a famous quote that says that if you don't weep, through grief, your internal organs will weep instead. And we see that time and time again when you're supporting people through grief where it has this knock-on effect of um, physical health. And also, but then how important is it then for us not to tell children and everyone else, you know, don't cry, be strong, man up. Absolutely. That's so terrible. Absolutely, because we're telling them to hold on to something that we are biologically created to do. We are meant to mourn for those who have lost. We are meant to cry when we hurt. Mm. That's part of the process. One of the other quotes I'd heard, which I just think is so utterly beautiful, is that tears of grief roll slower down the cheek than other tears because they're meant to be witnessed. And I just, I was so blown away when I was told that. I was like, how utterly beautiful is that? That 
it takes a village to raise a family and to get through life, but it also takes a village to mourn a life. Yeah. And we are meant to be doing it in community. We are not created to grieve in isolation. And I think even that symbolic nature of a tear rolling slower down the face so those around us can see we are hurting. Mm. This is something that's meant to be seen. It's a visual thing. It's something that we are meant to do in community. But yet, as a society, we tell people to go and do it in private and shut the door and come out when you're feeling better. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Talking about community, we have had our Happen My Baby community sending questions because obviously this is such a huge topic and it affects so many people. So I'm going to go through and you can give us your wise words. First of all, how can I ease the anxiety and fear of getting a positive test again after miscarriage? So that's such a hard time, isn't it? Because you have the excitement of mm. positive test, but also everything that you've experienced before, you can't help it flooding in. For sure. And I think it's incredibly difficult and everybody wants to think that there's a switch yeah. and that I can present them with that switch because this is something I'm asked all the time. I just want to feel joy. Can you just tell me how to make that happen? And actually, it's never going to be that easy. And if I even tried to make you think it was that easy, I'd instantly discredit myself anyway because it's not. And no one can tell you that there's an easy mechanism that you can lever that's going to take away all of the trauma and the pain of your previous loss. So you can only look at this next pregnancy as something completely separate and just believe the fact that everything's going to be okay. No one's going to make that happen. In one of my books, Pregnancy After Loss, I talk about this in such depth because it's a massive question and it's mm. something that you will journey for the whole nine months of your pregnancy and it will be ever evolving yeah. and so it's definitely taking it day by day it's definitely saying okay 
stats show us that one in four babies will be lost through baby loss. However, that means three out of four are going to survive. And so it's trying to look the fact that there's way more chance that you're going to end up with a baby in your arms than you're not. Mm. And taking it a little step at a time and just trying to hold on to some of those positives can really help. But also completely acknowledging the fact that this is traumatic and this is really trying and it's going to be really difficult and being real about that. I think if we try to convince ourselves that it is going to be easy, we're just going to end up being constantly disappointed and beating ourselves up that, why can't I just be happy? Why can't I just be optimistic? Where we've got to be realistic and say, of course, we're not going to feel that all of the time. And so let's just try and hold on to moments of joy and not say I'm failing if I'm not happy all of the time or I feel worried so much of the time. Okay, well, if you even get five minutes where you feel at peace, celebrate that. And it's accepting the fact that it's going to be this swinging pendulum the whole time of optimism, terror, fearing the worst, hoping for the best and accepting all of that is actually a process. It's something that we need to accept as that's going to be the case. Do you think it's important to find someone that you can vocalise those fears with? Or even, you know, look for things that people have written in the past, like books of people that have gone through a similar experience and can offer that sort of hope and comfort? Yeah, for sure. Stories can be really helpful. However, I will say they can also be triggering. And so it's finding out what's comfortable to you. So in my book, Pregnancy After Loss, I've actually got lots of stories, but we've actually put them on different paper in their different coloured paper so people can completely avoid them if they want Mm -hmm. because for some stories are the absolute thing that they hold on to. They got a happy ending. They ended up with a baby in their arms. But for others, any story just triggers them because they're like, well, what if that's not me? It's really important that we acknowledge that what works for one is not going to work for another. So you've got to find what's comfortable to you. But the biggest hurdle for pregnancy after loss is just getting through the anxiety and fear. And so it's taking it day by day, talking about what you're feeling, acknowledging whatever you're feeling is okay. Also acknowledging, even if you're pregnant again, you're still going to be processing the grief because Mm -hmm. it's a lifelong journey. So it's not, okay, well, I need to put all my grief into the closet now and just focus on this. It's got to be done simultaneously where we're embracing this new life, being joyful about it as much as we can, but also saying, it's still okay to be suffering and to be processing the pain. And this pregnancy, this baby in no way replaces the last. It's a sibling. It's an addition to the family. It's not a replacement. Someone's written in about rainbow babies. And I definitely think there is this wildly strange preconceived idea that a rainbow baby will replace the loss of Mm. the previous, of the baby that you've lost. And actually that's not true in the slightest. It's not. One of the reasons I never or very, very rarely will ever use the term rainbow baby. I never, ever call my girls rainbow babies. And part of that is because I didn't want their lives to be seen as in the aftermath of loss. Their lives are unique and individual. 
And I also didn't want to view the babies I'd lost as a storm or yeah. something horrible. And now here comes the bright sun and the sunshine because their lives were short, but they were still just as beautiful. And they were sunshine to me. They mm. were beautiful to me. And so I didn't want my living children to be seen as the aftermath of that. For me, I just felt really uncomfortable with that concept. However, I'm aware for some, the concept of rainbow babies is so beneficial to them. So I don't personally use it, but I certainly don't criticize others for using it. But I think we do have to be really careful in a lot of these almost visuals that we've created to try and make others comfortable with talking about loss. Mm -hmm. The fact that why does a baby after loss have to have a different name or a special name? It's like if someone's lost their partner through an illness or accident or whatever, and then they get remarried, there's not a name for that second wife or husband that are there now, the rainbow husband or the yeah. rainbow wife. But actually we do do this around baby and child loss. And I think it can be really tempting to create a language that's exclusive to loss. But I think that really does separate mm -hmm. the losses. And I'm always slightly concerned of doing that because I don't want it to be considered a less of a loss. And if we create a whole world surrounding one type of loss, the world then sees it as possibly less, but certainly is different. And I think that loss is loss and grief is grief. And I don't want to create a language that's unique to one specific form of loss. I want mm -hmm. us to be able to comfortably talk about it. Also, for those who are supporting us, for those who have journeyed through other loss, go, well, I'm not equipped in any way to help you because I didn't lose your type of loss. When actually, yeah. if you have journeyed through grief, you are skilled at helping people because you've walked through it. So I think we need to be really careful about it. And we need to be careful around it specifically for the reason as well that you have just said the fact of this conception that we often are thrown at when you do have a baby that you've just replaced the baby you've lost and I certainly haven't done that and I don't believe anybody would ever consider a baby they've lost and then is followed on by another baby as this is replacing that child at mm -hmm. all. They will never replace them. The space no. is always there. And going back to that shadow picture, I think that's what that shows, that the children that have gone ahead that we have lost, they've still got their space on that picture. Mm -hmm. And then our other children take up other space on that beach. And that's the same in all of our lives, the fact that they don't sit over each other. They all have their own unique space. That's why I really wanted to celebrate my two girls that I've got with me and saying, you are unique in your way. You're not a replacement. You're not here because of anything. You're always meant to be. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's complex, isn't it? You're never going to be able to get it right. And my opinion is going to be really different to the next person. I think one thing we are all in agreement from is the fact that no one replaces another. And we need to be careful around the language surrounding that. But someone has said, how do you support a friend or family member after loss and in subsequent pregnancies? Show it practically is my mm. first tip for anybody. If you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, 
the first step is to show up practically. So whether that be by cooking the meals, by offering to clean the house, if they've got living children saying, can I take them out? Can I take them to the park for you? So you've just got some space to actually process and cry without feeling like you also need to be parenting at that moment, that you can just have a good cry in the bath or whatever you need to do. Practically showing up is always beneficial to anyone who's bereaved, whether that be bereaved through baby loss or any other type of loss. Actually continuing on a day-to-day -day basis and that general things that you have to do to pay your bills, to keep the world ticking along, feels really overwhelming in yeah. the aftermath of loss. Even the thought of cooking a meal can feel too much. So often bereaved people just stop eating or certainly stop eating well. And so things like that can be really beneficial, but also be aware that for some people, especially in the first week or two, they might not want people visiting all the time. And so be accommodating to that and say, look, if that person feels like that, I'm gonna leave dinner on your doorstep at 5 p.m. every evening. I'll knock on the door, but you don't need to answer. Just take in the meal and put it in your oven when you want to eat, mm -hmm. things like that. So show up where they need you to show up and be aware of the things that you would need if your world had suddenly come to a halt. And then educate yourself on loss and grief as best you can. Read up about the subject, read about other people's personal stories. It might not be the same as their experience, but actually just hearing about the journey of grief can make you feel much more able to be present and to accommodate a conversation when you're visiting a friend or a family member. So the more you can do that, the more confident you will feel in showing up. And then also, I always suggest this, write key dates and anniversaries in your diary. Things like, when did they tell you they were pregnant? When did they tell you that they've gone through the loss? What occasions are gonna be really hard for them? Making notes of things like that in your own diary can be really helpful because you're not going to remember the date that they told you their baby died the following year unless you've made a note of it. And things like that make a big difference to a bereaved person. Often the world, as we've already talked about, moves on following mm -hmm. loss, but you're still very much in that pain still and that grief. And so having friends and family remember those key dates, sending them a text the week before and saying, I'm really, I'm aware that that next week might be really challenging for you. I'm here if you want to do something, if you don't want to do something, if you want to go for a walk, let me know. I'm going to be available to you or next week. Things like that make a huge difference because yeah. when you're bereaved and you feel like you're journeying so much of this passage alone, just having people say, I'm aware of it too. I'm going to be there for you too. I'll never forget this one lady in a cathedral one time and she was talking to me after a saying goodbye service and she just broke down on my shoulder crying and sobbing and she said all i wanted was my family to remember my baby's birthday all of them had visited her baby she died after a few weeks old by the following year none of her family even mentioned it was her daughter's birthday and she was just sobbing she said all i wanted was a text to say i know it's her birthday and she said, is it too much? Am I asking too much? Mm -hmm. And I was like, you're not, you're not asking too much. But these things that can seem quite small to some people are absolutely huge. And I think it's really important that we empower those 
around just to say this is something that the bereaved do actually want because often they're frightened of triggering more pain. Well, I don't mm -hmm. want to mention it in case they're trying to avoid it. Believe me, if people are trying to avoid it, they'll make that clear to you by saying, I'm choosing to just not remember this or not to address it. And so that's really okay. If they say that to you, be led by them. However, for the majority of people, they're gonna totally appreciate it and love you even more for doing it. Yeah. And so make a note of any occasion so you can be the one who raises the subject and just sends a card or sends flowers or anything like that, just to show you're thinking of them. Zoe, the work you do is so important and the way that you articulate things is just brilliant. I mean, I could talk to you about this for absolutely hours, but sadly we've come to the end of the podcast episode. But honestly, I just can't champion you enough. The work that you do, the stuff that you put out there, your books, you are brilliant. And anyone who's going through loss or any kind of grief... Go and find Zoe because, yeah, you are just brilliant. And I think sometimes in life we cannot find the words to articulate how we feel. But having someone like you articulate so much just helps. It really does. Thank you. We end each episode with you completing three sentences. Okay. Oh, this is where it yeah. gets a bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The first one is being a parent means. Being a parent means being vulnerable at all times when the world tells us we've got to be perfect, but actually what our children need is true vulnerability, so we give them permission to be vulnerable. If I could tell you one thing, it would be? Grief hurts like hell, but there will always be hope on the other side of that bridge, so just keep walking forwards. And I'm happy when? When I'm with my family and I can be present and not always thinking about something different when I actually sit in that moment and think, how blessed am I? That's so gorgeous. Zoe, thank you so much. Thank you. Honestly, your support of our work and of my work is so appreciated. We love what you do. And thank you for giving me the privilege of sharing today with you. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.